You can remain standing. Uh, just a couple of announcements. First of all, happy Easter. Today is a day that we get to celebrate 
Jesus's resurrection. He died on Friday, and three days later, he rose, overcoming, overcoming death and darkness and all of our sin. And so we can celebrate that together. Can I get an amen? All right, so a couple of announcements real quick. Um, if you are using our Wi-Fi right now, uh, we actually are showing service next door in Overflow. So if you could pop off the Wi-Fi so that we're not buffering over there, that would be awesome. Uh, quick hello to our online folks. Um, April 7th, we will, this upcoming Wednesday, we'll be having a uh, student night of worship. Um, and it's only going to be a couple songs, but uh, we're going to be doing that with our, our student team, and that's going to be great. And so if you're a, a high school or middle school student, we'd love to see you there on Wednesday night. Um, and we'd like you to sign in if you can. Um, it lets us know that you're here, and so you can sign in with Linda up front. Um, and so there's there's two different ways that we can do that. Um, uh, you can do the paper form on your on your chair right there. Um, you could also go online to hbtulsa.com and hit the big connect button that's there. Um, and uh, again, that, that helps us connect with you, be able to pray with you. Um, and it also helps us with like COVID safety regulation stuff. Um, and uh, finally, the last announcement I have for us is uh, Core 52. We've been going through the this book, Core 52, since the beginning of the year, and it has been so good, you guys. Um, it is an easy format that you can easily do, even if you don't have a lot of time each day. Um, and so I encourage you to pick it up. It has been transformative in my own life, um, in my husband's life. We have loved doing that together. Um, and so there are some books out in the lobby that you can pick up. Um, and uh, let's see, am I missing anything? Um, oh, if you want to see our reading schedule, you can see that at hbtulsa.com, click Core 52. Um, it'll show you what week we're on and what chapter to read. Um, and yeah, so I think that that's it. We are going to continue to worship together. And so would you please join us in that?
We are going to be singing a, a new song that we haven't sung before. Um, it's called The Mighty Cross, and it's a couple years old, but the message is so true. It was true yesterday and today, and it's going to be true that the cross of Jesus Christ, it has not lost its power. That happened 2,000 years ago, and it is still as powerful as it was when it first happened because the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection has transformed us and will continue to transform the lives of all those who come to him. And so uh, it's easy to, to, to catch on to the, the words, especially the chorus. And so even if you don't know it, we invite you to sing the truth of these words along with us.
comes in glory to reveal the fullness of his reign. Good morning. We're going to go into communion time at this time just to remember again. You know, time went so fast. It seemed like just yesterday that we celebrated this baby born in a manger. And now 30 years later, he's a grown man, <laughs> full grown, right in the prime of life. Uh, he has grown to be a teacher, a rabbi, a great leader, a healer. And our best friend. Time seemed to go so fast. And, you know, he didn't push religion on anyone. He Just what he said made so much sense. And everyone followed him. Uh, he was a true leader. And then, all of a sudden, things began to change. The religious leaders of the day would not accept him. They couldn't believe this man had so much following, and it began to cause contention among them. And before long, they found him, he found himself in front of a trial of the religious powers of that day. It was ugly, the accusations that they brought against him. They were vicious and demeaning. They accused him of saying, I am the son of God. Well, was he? Maybe he was. This trial was vicious, and it was, it was crazy. As he sat there in the trial, he was beaten, spit upon, and dragged through the city 
to a hill called Golgotha. And there he hung and died. He gave up his life as a sacrifice for me and for you. His life was so short, barely 30 years and plus three years of public ministry. Is this all there was? Is this all there is? That he just lived a good man and died? Surely that wasn't everything. Was he the son of God? Was that all there was? Now he was hung on a cross. And as he hung there, he even asked forgiveness for those who were doing this. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, and they didn't. They didn't realize that this truly was the Son of God. So all we had to do was to mourn him, mourn his death, and to wait. We did wait because somehow we expected that he would return. He had said he would return, and he did. On the third day, he rose again, and on that day, we rejoiced. He came back to life. What did resurrection look like? Someone coming back from the dead, and here he was alive again. Well, today, we celebrate that resurrection. This is called Resurrection Sunday for us. Whether it's actually that day or not, we celebrate today. And we celebrate it in a very special way. We celebrate, we don't just celebrate some cruel men who hung a guy on a cross, but we celebrate the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do that in a very special way. And because of COVID, we do it a little different today. We don't pass trays, but we use this individual serving. If you didn't get one when you came in, we welcome you to pick one off of the uh, table back in the foyer there. But as we take this inside, in the first layer, there's a little wafer that you can take out. And that represents the body of Jesus Christ, the one who really, truly did die on a cross for us. The substance of what you hold in your hand represents the body of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And as you peel the second layer off, you'll find grape juice in there. That grape juice is to remind us again of that blood that he truly shed for us, that washes us of our sin. That's what we remember today. And as I pray for you, I pray that it'll be a special time of meaning for you just to remember again this resurrection day, that he doesn't lay in a, a dark tomb somewhere. He is alive within us who believe in Jesus Christ. Let me pray and then allow it's time for you to partake. Jesus, we thank you for this time to share together in communion. It's great to be as a family here together and just enjoy this fellowship. But we, first of all, just enjoy fellowship with you as our Lord and Savior. As we partake of this, this bread, which represents your body, and the grape juice, which represents the blood that was shed for us, may it be a rich remembrance and rich memory of realizing the resurrection for us, the new life that we have in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Take time to remember.
When we come to a time for offering, I think it's important for us to understand that the offering is not something that the modern church came up with as a way to pay bills. The offering is something that God instituted for his people long, long ago. And from the early church, we find these examples. The Apostle Paul, who traveled extensively, establishing churches, being one who went from place to place, was the recipient of the gifts of many churches. As he wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, in the fourth chapter of Philippians, he talks about how that the church at Philippi was the only church that had supported him while he had gone into Macedonia. And then he said, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me gifts more than once. And then in verse 17 of chapter 4, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire more is that you, is what I desire is that more be credited to your account. And you think about that for a moment. Here was Paul able to minister because people were supporting him. But he said, what I desire is that more credit will be given to you because you have given. Sometimes it's, it's important for us to reflect that <clears throat> here now, an offering is different. We have the uh, beautiful blue box that's out in the lobby. And if you're next door in the uh, activity center, there is another beautiful blue box right by the door. If you're online, there's an opportunity for you to click the button to give now. But what we're more interested in than just being able to meet needs is that each of us grow in our faith, grow in our understanding that God honors our gifts. God recognizes when we give. And when we give, the church as a whole is able to minister in a lot of different ways. We're able to meet needs. This week, I heard of a couple of stories of lives who were blessed because the church was able to give. That's why we have an offering. Would you please join me in prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you that you do recognize the sacrifices that are made when we give. That you are more concerned about the condition of our heart when we give than the amount of our gift but that you are very concerned about the condition of our heart, our heart of faith, our heart to trust you, our heart to worship you, our heart to help your church serve the world. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless our offering today. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Highland Park. Uh, so good to be with you on this Easter morning. And I want to give a shout out to the folks who are sitting in our overflow. I know that's not always ideal. And a, and a lot of you just took one for the team to give extra space in here. 
Thank you all for being there. If I'm buffering right now, just bear with us and I'll be right back. Um, but thank you. Uh, we're, hello to our online participants who are worshiping at home or on back patios with loved ones. We're glad that you are with us this morning and, and so good to see your faces here in person uh, as well. And I'm Brian. I'm just so thankful to be part of this church family. Uh, we've been mentioning the last week or two that we really do have some ways that lots of people can serve. We, we believe that God created every person to serve and every person to connect. And so that connect card, there's a piece of paper. If you're in person, you're welcome to do that. There's also a number up here if you would rather do things online. Just text that number and you'll get a, a message sent to your phone. You can complete that uh, uh, now or later or whenever is convenient to you. But we want to help you connect so that you're with other people caring for you and serving. Uh, we're also glad Dave mentioned several really cool stories that happened this week. And thank you for caring for one another so much. Uh, another cool thing that's happening here at Highland Park is we just announced this past week that we have two people who are going to be part of the Highland Park internship program this summer where we just lean in and care for them and give them skills and teach them. And then they, in turn, are pouring in to especially our students uh, in our youth ministry. And so you know these people, uh, or you know one of them, Peyton, if you've been around Highland Park very often, Peyton Miller, uh, grew up here at Highland Park. And so we're really glad to have her coming back. She's uh, in, in Bible college right now. And then Gavin Boykin over there on the right, um, he grew up in Louisville, or as Gabriella is teaching me to say correctly, Louisville. Uh, no vowels. No vowels are allowed in Louisville, I believe. Louisville. I still haven't said it right yet. Uh, but, but that's where Gavin is from and uh, is part of Southeast Christian Church there. We know some, uh, have some good friends there. And we're thankful he's hoping to do church planting in the future. So we're just praying as a church family that we can bless them this summer. And they're going to be a big blessing to us, especially our students in youth ministry. So we wanted to let you know that. But um, today, you know, we are celebrating that Christ has risen and we believe that that is a real historical fact, and that matters. And so the question I have is, what does that mean for you? And this morning, I would like to just kind of walk through what it meant to the Apostle John. John was one of the closest people to Jesus, arguably the closest human being with Jesus during his time on earth, maybe aside from his mother, uh, John walked with him for three years and then continued to be a Christ follower the rest of his life. He's the only one of the 12 apostles who was not martyred for his faith, but instead he was exiled to a lonely island, the island of Patmos. And in his gospel, John does this interesting thing. He never calls himself by name. You can read the whole gospel of John, and he never draws attention to himself. Instead, he calls himself the other, the other disciple, or he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I don't think he's saying that to be like, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> I think he's saying, like, Jesus even loved this guy. Like, this crusty old fisherman, Jesus loves me, and that's amazing. And it's keeping the attention off of himself and on Jesus. So when we read in the text, we're going to be in John chapter 20, if you want to turn there with us uh, this morning. When you read about the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved, we're talking about John, who wrote the Gospel of John. So let's just dive into this text. We're not going to go very long this morning, but what we learn from this text is really important. John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, right? That's John. And said, 
They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Okay, so first we learn it's dark. It's early in the morning. The sun's not all the way up yet. But it's also dark for the disciples because Jesus has been crucified and they're wondering if they're next. So they're hiding out. And Mary Magdalene, one of the close followers of Jesus, who has seen Jesus' miraculous power before, she sees that the tomb is empty. And what does she assume? That somebody's stolen the body. What? So the disciples are assuming not that Jesus has risen from the dead, but that some bad guys have stolen the body. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that sometimes it's hard for us to believe, even when we've known Jesus for a long time. It also tells us something cool about the Bible. If some people have accused the Bible of just being a made-up fairy tale that people wrote to try to convince you that Jesus was real. But if you were writing that Bible to try to trick people, would you include this story? No way, because it makes the disciples look bad, doesn't it? I love that the Bible is authentic, and it tells history how history happened, even if it makes the disciples look bad for a little while. That actually helps us trust that the Bible is true. Okay, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, okay, that's John, right? The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. About six or seven years ago, I hurt my shoulder, and I could not play basketball or tennis for quite a while, which was a bummer for me because that's how I got exercise, couldn't work out. And so I learned to jog, kind of kicking and screaming. I hated jogging at first. Actually, every step I was like, this is dumb, this is dumb, this is dumb, this is dumb, as I would plod down the trail by our house. But I needed to do something to stay sane. And then one day I was jogging, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, this isn't dumb. This is kind of fun. And that's kind of my jogging story. But ever since then, I've run like a race or two a year. That's about it. I'm not winning anything. Not unless I can keep running until I'm 95, then maybe win the 95 and over. That's my only chance. But uh, every year I'll run one or two races just to kind of motivate myself. And races are always on Saturday or Sunday. And so as a preacher, you know, I'm always choosing the Saturday races. However, a couple of you, Sloan and Crystal have keep trying to convince me that I could do the Route 66 half marathon and finish in time to come still preach and it would be good motivation to run fast. And, and it's tempting, except y'all don't want me showing up without a shower, right? And, and you don't want me coming here just like profusely sweating because I sweat for a long time after I finish running. I mean, it'd be gross. So tempting offer. I haven't pulled, I haven't tried it yet. Maybe one of these days, but But 2,000 years ago, this is like the original Sunday morning 5K, okay? It's the family run. But when you read it, it's not just like a fun run. Like there's like intensity to this. Like Mary Magdalene sees the tomb is empty. She runs and tells the disciples. Uh, Peter and John and others run to the tomb. And John, in the gospel of John, the holy book of John, mentions that he won the race. I imagine later, you know, he's like, hey, Peter, who, who won that race again? But then I imagine Peter's like, yeah, but you never got to the finish line. You ever had one of those races with your friends where you disagree on like what the finish line is? You know, kids do that. Peter's like, you got to the tomb, but you didn't go in. 
Because John has this, you know, that hesitancy you have when you're like, do I go in? Do I not? Is it right to go in? John pauses there. Does Peter ever have hesitancy? No. Peter's kind of known for barging in. He barges in conversations. He barges into answers that aren't well thought out. He barges in physically. And so that's exactly what happens right here. Verse 5. Then Simon Peter came along behind, you know, he's trying to catch up with John, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went inside. He saw and believed. So Peter barges in, and John mentions that the linens are in place. Why is that an important detail? Because grave robbers don't leave the linens in place, right? They leave them thrown about. And so John's pointing out, like, this is historical. This happened. It's not grave robbers. So when that theory comes up, you can dismiss that one. There's a whole lot of theories that popped up, and that still pop up. And we can kind of just go through and dismiss all of them. It's what I loved about the reading this week of just dismissing those theories that don't make sense. What happened to the body? The disciples didn't steal it. The soldiers didn't steal it. It wasn't still in the tomb. Otherwise, when the disciples started saying like, hey, Jesus has risen from the dead, they would have been like, "Uh uh-uh, the tomb's still right here and there's still a body in it. No, we, we have this historical evidence that the body was not in the tomb. What happened? He had risen, and John believes. We read in the other accounts, the other Gospels, though, that Peter is still confused. The other disciples are all confused. None of them have quite put all of the pieces together. Mary, we read, by the time she gets back, this is like her second 5K of the day, Peter and John must have already been gone. She gets back to the empty tomb there, and she's just sitting outside crying, weeping, still believing that Jesus had not risen from the dead. And I want to pause and just talk to you for a second here. How many of you have gotten right to the tomb, right to the place where your life could be changed if you would just look inside, and you've never gone in? You've gotten so close to the truth that Jesus died and rose again, and you're just right there on the outside of the tomb, not going in. How many of you have come to the tomb and you're just sitting, having a pity party on the outside about how things in your life aren't going as you planned, and things aren't as they seem, and God isn't doing what you thought he would do, and you're out there having a pity party when the truth is that Jesus has risen, and he's waiting for you to look inside and find out the truth that he loves you, he died for you, and he rose again. How many are just so close? And God is closer than you think. He's way closer than you think. And you're just afraid to take the next step. John wrote the, apostle, wrote the, the gospel of John in hindsight. You know, but when he writes this, he understands what happens He understands what goes down. In chapter 13, he says that Jesus loved them to the end. That Jesus loved them. And what's the end? Well, the end is just the beginning. John is saying Jesus has loved us and he still loves us. John also wrote these three short little letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And 1st John is all about love. 
In chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Did you catch that? If you don't love, you don't know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love and live. Throughout the Bible, those two words keep showing up together. Love and live. If you see the word love, look around and you'll often find the word live or life. If you see the word life or live, look around and you'll often find the word love. It's all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life. There's this other little verse you may have heard of, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Love and life keep showing up together because you've never really lived unless you've learned to love, unless you've experienced love. And I'm not just talking about any kind of love. I'm talking about perfect love, and perfect love only comes from God. You've never really lived unless you've experienced God's perfect love in your life. If you're looking for life, look to God's love. And the God of love is closer than you think. Jesus is the language of God, right? God tells us that he loves us through the written word through the prophets of old, but what is the perfect way that God tells us of his love? Not just a written word, but the living word, his son, Jesus, that Jesus would come to be God's language saying, I love you. You want to know how much I love you? Look at Jesus. That's how much I love you. So where are you looking for love? Erwin McManus says, it's insanity to search for love and run from God. A lot of people in our culture are doing the insanity thing where they're looking for for love, but they're running from God. And they never find the love that they're looking for as long as they're running from God. And the same is true for you and me. Typical movie. You got a good guy. Things are going well. Then you have a bad guy. Messes up the good guy's life maybe takes things from him, ruins his life, maybe injures him. But then what happens in the movie? The good guy starts to get better. And the good guy says something like, I'll be back. You know, one of those statements like, I'm coming back. And you know when the good guy says, I'm coming back, that he's coming with vengeance. Plot twist in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, they will kill me and I'll be back. But when Jesus comes back, he doesn't come back to get revenge, he comes back to give love. What kind of a movie is that? It's the story of the Gospels. It's the story that's opposite of our cheering for revenge and violence. Jesus says, I'm paying for you by allowing this violent thing to happen to me. The most violent thing that could happen to a person, I will allow it to happen to me because I love you and I care for you. And Jesus doesn't return from the grave with vengeance, but with love, saying, come be with me. To the Roman soldiers who actually swung the hammer, driving the nail into his hands, Jesus says, I love you. I'm here. To the Jewish people who cried out, crucify him. Jesus says, I'm here. I love you. 
to you and me who our sins separated us from God. So Jesus said, I will die for you. I'm here. I love you. I care for you. And the disciples head back with the others. And Mary Magdalene, when she gets there, they've already left, and she's weeping outside the tomb. And she's crying out there, and Jesus comes right up to her. God is closer than you think. She thinks it's just a gardener, and, and she thinks the gardener is asking, like, hey, why are you so upset? And she tells him, thinking she's talking to a gardener, God is closer than you think. But then the gardener, who's actually Jesus, says one thing that, that helps Mary know who it is. You know what that one thing was? It was her name. Here's Mary crying in her confusion, not even realizing that Jesus is talking to her, that he's risen from the dead. But the thing that changes that is when Jesus says, Mary. I imagine he said it in a way that she had heard before. Mary, Mary, it's me. When he says her name, she knows it's him. In the book of Isaiah, we're told that God says, I love them and I know them by name. And I want you to know something, that God knows you by name. And maybe you're the person who's sitting outside the tomb, crying, feeling sorry for yourself, upset, suffering, going through loss in your life. And you're thinking, man, God is far from me. I want to tell you that God is closer than you think. And he's saying your name. And maybe you're the person that's run right up to the tomb a whole bunch of times in your life. Like you're right there, but you're afraid to look in. You're afraid to go in. You haven't embraced the truth that Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven and he is going to return one day. And when he returns, he wants you to be with him and he wants you to live with him right now. And you've gotten right to the tomb, but you've never taken the next step to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm telling you, Jesus knows your name and he's calling it. If I say your name, you might be like, hey, Brian knows my name. But when God says your name, listen up. The God of the universe who created you and who loves you and who died for you and wants you to be with him in this life and the life to come is saying your name. Your name. This morning, we don't want you to leave here today being right on the edge of the tomb. We don't want you to leave here, you know, crying outside the tomb, thinking that your life can't change. Maybe you're thinking, man, I've done this or I've done that. God knows that. And he's still calling your name. And so this morning, if you would like to say yes to giving your life to Jesus, then we would love to help you do that. We have a baptistry right back here that we would love for people to be in later today or tomorrow or the next day. We would love to pray with you and talk with you about your life and what it means to follow Jesus. So uh, we're going to sing a song here. It's going to be our last song here today. And even during that song, if you, if you know that God is calling your name and you're ready to say, yes, Jesus, I believe you, 
then we would encourage you, you can just walk right out these doors into the lobby and hang a left and look for the folks with the lanyards uh, who would love to pray with you and talk with you. If you are ready to be baptized today, we would love to do that. If you want to talk to somebody this week and study the Bible and pray, we would love to do that. But whether it's during this next song or once the service is over, just find one of those people with the, with the lanyard, and we would love to pray with you and talk with you so that you don't stay on the outside wondering what's happened on the inside. Would you stand up and let me pray with us? God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you died and rose again. I believe that. And God, I pray for anybody who's on the outside wondering what it's like to be on the inside. I pray that today they would take a step. Pray for our online folks to click the prayer button and to engage with our prayer host. I pray for those in the overflow and in person and those who may be even just hearing this later, that they would take the step to give their lives to you and that they will feel your embrace and your love and your grace and your direction in their lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. You hid in glory and creation, and now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name.
us today for our Easter service and joining us in celebrating that our Christ has risen. So just a reminder, um, we're available to visit outside in the lobby if you need prayer, if you want to take a next step, just like Brian mentioned. Um, there are people who are available to pray and talk with you right out there, and they'll all be wearing lanyards, so you'll know who to, who to talk to. Just be on the lookout for those. And I'm going to close with uh, a verse. Um, from 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Amen. You all are dismissed.
So take my 